Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. Good to be with you this morning. Um, Yes, there were some young men who played exceptionally well golf yesterday, and there were some of us who did not play exceptionally well golf yesterday, but we still got a a door prize for being the last team, so it's okay. Um, It's super great to be able to open the scriptures this morning. Would you open in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3? Today we finish up in our time uh, in the letters to the seven churches. And one of the things I've mentioned is that these seven churches are written to seven churches, an actual church in the area of Laodicea. Uh, But they're also written to us today. At the end of each one of these churches, it says, and now here, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a circular letter written to all of these churches, but also written to us today. As believers in Jesus, this is a word for our church. Like all the other six letters were, this is a word for our church. This is a word for our lives today. And in God's desire, Jesus' desire is to present everyone mature in Christ. In Colossians, that's what he says. But Paul says, I strive toward this end to present everyone mature in Christ. And the amazing thing about Colossians is actually when Colossians is written, it's written and it says at the end of the book of Colossians, by the way, share this letter with Hierapolis, share this letter with Laodicea. So Paul's urging not only just for the church, but for the church at Laodicea and for the church today is that they would be mature in Christ. They are already in Christ, but God desires to grow them up to maturity, to grow them up into the people who God wants them to be. He wants them to learn to love and to live and to reflect his image in all ways. And so we've been on this journey. And if you remember, we started off here in, let me get my clicker going, get my clicker going. When I don't turn it on, it doesn't help. There we go. We started off looking at, let me see, Ephraim, would you double click into there in the first uh, slide, if you would, again, for him, bud. Um, There's like lyrics here. Sorry about that. That's a technical glitch. That's my fault because of my clicker. Um, There we go. Thank you, bud. Um, That's my son back there, by the way, running that, which is why I said bud, okay? Uh, Just, yeah. You're awesome. You're awesome. The other, he plays baseball too, and we picked this up a couple years ago. Uh, For some reason, like when you have a hard time sometimes remembering the the name, you just call him Kid, or maybe you just call him Kid anyway. They'll call him by the name, then they'll call him Kid. So I started calling him Kid as a way to just say, hey, I love you, Kid. And so thanks, bud, or Kid, or son, or however you want to go. So here we go. We've got the Isle of Patmos from which John is writing down in your lower left-hand portion of your screen. Here's the circular letter. We started in Ephesus. So 
it goes to the first stop on the mail route. It goes to Ephesus. Ephesus, if you recall, was a church that had misplaced their priorities because they had lost the love that they had at first. And Jesus tells them, return to that first love. They, they had great doctrine, but they missed the walking in love section. The second church that Pastor Tom looked at with us was the church in Smyrna. And he calls, Jesus calls this church rich. And he says, you're rich, but really in economic terms, they're poor. He says, you're rich, but in your poverty, I have made you uh, rich. You are afflicted. And even in that, he says, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be faithful because you're going to receive a time of persecution. Endure. Endure. It will not last forever. He tells the church in Smyrna. Then he comes to the church in Pergamum. This was a church that was faithful, but they allowed false doctrine to creep through people who compromised their walk with God. In other words, they, they had kind of like as a balance to Ephesus, who had lost the love but kept the doctrine. The church in Pergamum had, had kept the love and kind of shelved part of the doctrine. And, and he says to them, you need to regain solid doctrine about who I am and not allow idolatry and sexual immorality to come up through your church. Then there was a church at Thyatira, and Thyatira is the church who knowingly tolerated idolatry and knowingly tolerated sexual immorality. So, so it kind of takes the, the Pergamum church and kind of ups it on steroids because they allowed people in their midst to promote it. And we had that whole conversation with Thyatira. Sardis was a church that looked uh, alive, but really he says, you are spiritually dead. You are spiritually dead. In other words, their outer works, the veneer on the outside of their life could not fake their inward walk before the living God. Then we come to Philadelphia, which we looked at last week, and God was opening doors for ministry for them despite their personal weakness. And it's just the great reminder that God is in control of their ministry. And so we come to Laodicea, perhaps one of the most talked about churches in Revelation. And here is the big word for Laodicea. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And let's hear what Jesus says to this church today. Would you stand with me, please? Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 says this, Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed, be zealous and repent. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. 
the victor. I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Our Father and our King, would you lead and guide us in your truth by the power of your Holy Spirit? As Mark prayed, be our teacher here today. Help us to see with your eyes. We trust you, God. We trust your heart. We trust your care for us wherever we've come from this week. God, in this moment, we yield our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we have the churches here, and let's see if I can get this working properly. We are over here now in Laodicea. Laodicea is all the way up on the postal route and all the way back down on the postal route, and it's in a valley between a couple of mountains, and it's known as being in a tri-city region, all right? So we're talking about this, this neither hot nor cold, lukewarm, and we're in a tri-cities region. One of the things I experienced yesterday with it being so hot is that water was absolutely essential. So I took my thermos here with me, golfing, and I didn't fill it with water. I actually filled this one with coffee, and it was, it was glorious, but it was iced coffee. So all afternoon, the ice I'd put in here kept my cold, my drink very, very cold. If you'd wanted to put something hot in here, it would have kept it very, very hot. This city is sandwiched between two other cities. Laodicea down in the corner here, just to the north of it, about six miles, is a city called Hierapolis. And just to the southeast of it is a city called Colossae. So when Paul writes the book of Colossians to the members of the church in Colossae, he's, he says, share with Laodicea. He actually says, share with Hierapolis, which you can see why geographically they're going to be able to do that. They're going to take a short little little walk, take the letter from Paul to Colossae and say, here, you need to read this too. What's amazing about this is when Jesus comes into this hot, cold, lukewarm image, he's using things from their culture for them to see what they're sandwiched between. But before we get to that, Let's look again at how Jesus is described here, because in every one of these letters to the churches, Jesus gives a bit of a revelation about himself. Here he says it this way. He says, I'm the amen, the faithful and true witness and the originator of God's creation right? Th th that's how he starts it. Now, the word amen is more than just a word that we say at the end of a prayer. It's more than just a word that we use in, in singing a hymn or singing a song. The word amen means let it be so, or it means surely, not, not as in the person, but S-U-R-E-L-Y. It, it has this idea of confident agreement. So when you say a prayer and you say amen, you're saying, yes, let it be so. It means that we're agreeing Yes, whatever Mark just prayed, whatever Brian just prayed, whatever we prayed, as we pray according to the work and the will of God, we say, God, yes, let it be so. And Jesus is the one who says, I'm the one who says, let it be so. You can find your confident agreement in Jesus. It's a word that's just filled with power. He also describes himself as the faithful and true witness. He's the one when he tells something, you can bank on it. 
When he says, here's what I will do in the future, you know because he is faithful and because he's true that it will happen. He, he, he's a witness who stands by in glorious fashion. I mean, you can have a witness in today's world that may remember things the way they saw them, may not remember things that the way they actually happened. Or you can have a witness falsely testify. He's saying, I'm the faithful and I am the true witness. He also says that he is the originator of God's creation. Now, depending on your translation, it might say something slightly different. The word here behind the word originator, which is the HDSB, is the word arche. Can you say arche? Arche. Arche is the word that's used in John chapter 1 when John writes, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's the idea that he's not the firstborn in in sense of like he was created by God because Jesus himself is eternal. That's scripture testifies to that. Revelation testifies to that. It means that he was there in the beginning of creation. He was an originator. He was the one who created. You could could also say um, he's the ruler or he's the source or he is the beginning So we get this word from Jesus that says, I am the amen, I'm the faithful and true witness, and I am the originator of God's creation. All things were made by him and through him. And the other thing that's going on with that word arche is that it's a divine title that stood against the authorities of his day. In other words, um, one scholar writes that the Roman emperor's primary title was princeps, which means the first. And so when Jesus says, I am the beginning, I am the source, I am the originator, he's saying, Caesar thinks that he is the first, but I am the firstborn of creation. I'm the originator of all things. All things were made by me and through me. Nothing that has been made has been made apart from my creative work, Jesus says, because he's eternal, because he's sovereign, because he is Lord. So he comes from that, and he comes into this phrase that we've looked at several times. I know your works. Jesus knows our actual works. He knows what's behind everything we do. He says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, he says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. What a picture for today. Here, what he's doing is he's saying cold and hot are good, right? Cold and hot are good. And here's why. See if I can get this to work. Ephraim, would you go next slide for me, please, bud? Awesome. So we have Laodicea here in the middle. Southeast is Colossae. Like I said, Hierapolis is six miles to the north. When you look north to Hierapolis, I keep messing it up with this. But would you go to my next slide? I'll just tell you when to go. Um, when you go to Heropolis, that's not it. Go back. Go to the one. Nope. Sorry. This is what happens when I mess up the thing with this. Go to the one that looks like it's snow, if you can, or looks like it's ice. That's the one I want. Okay. When you go to Heropolis, Heropolis is known for its mineral springs. You think this might look like snow. It's not. It's actually mineral deposits, calcium deposits that have built up because Heropolis, to the north of where we're at in Laodicea, Heropolis is known for its hot springs. So when you lived in Laodicea, 
You could look north, and on a clear day, you would see steam rising. You could look north, and you would see, oh, there's the medicinal springs. There's where you go to get into the hot water because you have an ache in your knee, or you have an ache in your back, or some other reason. Next slide, if you would, from that one, Ephraim. When you come to this, this is a stream that's outside Colossae. Now, Colossae was known for its cool, refreshing water. So you have Hierapolis, known for its hot mineral springs. You have Laodicea, which is sandwiched in the middle. But then you have Colossae, which is known for its cool, refreshing spring water. When Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold, and he's writing to the church in Laodicea, he says, you guys don't have water like they have up north, and you don't have water like they have down to the southeast. In fact, he says, you are lukewarm. Now, Laodicea would get their water um, via spring, which came by an aqueduct, and it would travel several miles from the south in order to receive this water. Aqueduct water was not as good as this kind of water. It, it, by the time it got there, it would be have it would have traveled through um, these aqueducts, these these stone um, channels of water, and you'd get it and you'd drink it, and it would just go. Blah. <laughs> like it just, it, it just doesn't satisfy. Years ago, when my wife and I were traveling overseas, we were in a region of the world where um, they don't use a lot of cold water for anything or, or cold drinks for anything. You might be able to buy a bottled drink or something like that. But when you sat down for a meal, you would sit down and you'd sometimes have hot tea or hot coffee, but then you would have like room temperature water. How many of you love room temperature water? Okay, there's some of us that do. I actually don't mind it, except for when it's really hot outside. But when you've been outside all day long, and when you're playing golf as poorly as I played yesterday, and you're breaking a sweat doing such a poor job playing, a nice, cold, refreshing drink of water is soothing to the soul, if nothing else. And Laodicea is here in the midst, and he says to them, you're neither hot nor you're cold. If you were hot, you'd be beneficial. You'd be useful. If you were cold, you'd be beneficial. You'd be useful. But instead, he says, you are lukewarm. And with lukewarm water, he says, uh, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, what does it mean then for them to be lukewarm? Is it just, what does that mean? This refers to a walk with God. This refers to a way in which they walked before and with Jesus. And notice how he zeroes in on their lukewarmness. He says to them, he says, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. These were people who knew absolutely everything about what it meant to be self-sufficient. In um, 17 AD, there was, an, there was a massive earthquake that affected this entire region. Um, after the earthquake, Caesar came through and he said, can I help you rebuild? Because th- where this city is in, is in a very earthquake-prone location. And they said, yes, we need your help to rebuild, Caesar. There's another earthquake that happened about 43 years later in AD 60. By the time that earthquake happened, you know what happened in Laodicea? They went from being a town that needed Caesar's help to rebuild to when AD 60 earthquake happened. They said, Caesar, we got this all taken care of. I know that the earthquake has just demolished our city, but we have everything we need to rebuild. Laodicea was a wealthy place. It was a wealthy place for three primary reasons. 
one. It was a banking industry, right? It was a banking industry. They actually minted their own gold coinage there, which is something for the ancient world. Number two, they were renowned for textiles. They were renowned for this, this wool that came from black sheep that would be um, spun and turned into clothes. And the whole area would buy the clothes that came from black wool from the Laodicean region. The third thing that they were known for is they were known for ophthalmology. All right? They were known for ophthalmology. In other words, they were known for eye care. Um, if there's, there's a slide up from that has three things. Oh, awesome. Perfect. So these three things, that's an ancient ophthalmologist appointment up in the right-hand corner. It's kind of interesting. They're up there checking out the eyes. So there's three things that Laodicea was known for, and they prided themselves in their self-sufficiency. When Jesus comes to them He's saying, look, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And then he says to them, because you say I'm rich and I've become wealthy and I need nothing. In other words, they learned to provide for all of their needs. And Jesus comes against them and he says this, you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's quite a comment to give a church that uh, grows up and, and is living in a place that is anything but poor, that has the best doctors to treat people who are struggling with vision impairment and blindness, and who makes their own clothes to call them poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. Just think about that. Here's a city that is so strong in its own self preservation is so strong in its own um, ability to provide for itself. It's a church that basically has said, you know, we don't really need God because we've learned how to live independent from God and have all of our needs met. That's what he's saying. I mentioned before that this, this letters, these letters to the churches have application to us today. One of the things as I was reflecting and just chatting with some people this week that, that, that came to mind in conversation was we live in a society that we pride ourselves on how we can take care of it ourselves. Like, we don't want help with this because we, we, we've saved for that. Or we've got this tool over here because we've just built up for that. And pretty soon, even with this, this beauty that comes with the entrepreneurial American spirit, we can have very quickly a spirit that says, you know what, God, I got this. I'll, I'll check in when I actually need you. But notice the deception here. He says, you're wealthy, you're rich, you need nothing is what you say, but you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There's, there's a struggle that they have to see their actual need of God because they have so much stuff around them that they think they can meet their needs on their own strength. It's kind of like when, when, the, um, when the rich young ruler approaches Jesus and he says, Lord, can I be a disciple? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have come and follow me. And it says that the man went away just downcast because he was very wealthy. Wealth for him and, and his, 
not even just the wealth, but the tie to needing to have the wealth, the tie to needing to find his identity in the wealth, the tie to wanting to, to, to make sure that he could provide for everything he needed, kept him from trusting and walking after Jesus. And it's the same with us. It's the same with us. But notice what Jesus says to this rich yet poor church. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. He's saying, you have gold. You have a banking industry. You actually mint your own coins, but you need to buy from me gold refined in the fire. He says, so that you may be rich. You need to buy from me white clothes so that you may be dressed. He says to a bunch of people wearing the hottest fashion of the day, black garments made from their own sheep's wool. That you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not be exposed. And he says, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. They, they, they had the best ointment in all the land. And he says, you think you can go to yourself to find that. Come to me. And I wonder too, a lot of the things that we are strongest in, some of us in this room are really strong leaders and, and you value your ability to make quick decisions. It becomes second nature. Some of you in this room have an amazing shepherding ability to come alongside and to care for your family. God has gifted you in that way. Some of you in this room have amazing organizational abilities. Sometimes, in fact, maybe perhaps a lot of times in our greatest areas of strength, is where we become less aware that we need God. Jesus isn't saying, come to me with all the things that you're awful at, and I'll go ahead and make you strong. He's saying, come to me with everything you think that makes you strong, because even in the greatest strength you have, it is insufficient to follow after me. Jesus' call here to these people is to trust him. His call to them is, when you think you have something figured out, come to me, because only I can be the solution to everything that you need in your life. This is his message to this church. He goes then to this next phrase. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Notice how he starts that. As many as I love. As many as I love. Good parents rebuke and discipline their kids because they care about them. They, they, they want them to be something that they are not yet and coming to them with love and in truthfulness is one of the ways that God has given us to help one another. And Jesus models this so well because he comes in grace and in truth. As his children, our identity, our, our sonship or our daughtership is never in question with him. It's never in question with him. He loves us. But because he loves us, he rebukes and he disciplines because that is part of the maturing process to make us more like him. He uses this image of come from me to, 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 to buy gold refined in the fire. We sang it today. 
refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be wholly set apart for you. My friends, we are holy because of the work of Jesus. But the way that our lives greater reflect his holiness is to allow the little bits of our own self-sufficiency to be burned off, to be knocked off, to be confronted with the ways in which we trust ourselves instead of going to a God who says, come to me and I will do a work in you that you cannot do yourself. And he comes to this then in verse 20, this invitation. He says, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and have dinner with him and he with me. Go to the photo of the door, Ephraim. Jesus is saying, I'm standing at the door knocking. He's knocking right now. And this isn't just an invitation for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus. This is an invitation for believers because he's talking to a church here. He's talking to a people who've said, we're followers of Jesus. And he says, you lack a whole bunch of stuff. You got to come to me. And he says, I'm standing at the door knocking. I'm standing at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will have dinner with him and he with me. Jesus' invitation here, by the way, is not just to a fast food meal. It's not to a drive through something. His invitation is to sit down. Ephraim, next slide. In Middle Eastern hospitality, if you get invited to the meal of the day, you know that you are protected. You know that you are cared for. You know that you come under that family and that patriarch's authority and responsibility. There's three meals in the ancient period. The first meal of the day was something that would be like a, a piece of bread, maybe dipped in some wine or maybe dipped in some vinegar. All right, that was eaten quickly. The second meal of the day was often eaten in the civic town or it was eaten as you're going around, you know, you're on your lunch break. It's a quick, quick meal, small, jump right back into your work day. The last meal of the day is a, is a meal where you linger, it's a meal that's not just about the food satisfying your stomach. It's not about trying to throw down as much food as you can so you can get out for a practice, or you can get out for a game, or you can get out for something else. It was a meal that the family would gather around and they would fellowship. They, they, they would spend time in relationship. It, it's, a, it's a meal that is called, get my word right here, it's called the deep non. Can you say deep non? deep non. Yeah, it's this evening meal, the main meal of the day, the, the meal that people lingered over after the day's work is done. And it's this meal that's in reference here when Jesus says, and we will sit down and we will share a meal together. It, it's probably looking forward to a, a marriage supper of the lamb that comes in the latter part of the book, but even more so, it's just this idea of intimate relationship because you didn't get into that third meal of the day unless the host and the person um, putting on this meal wanted you there for relationship. That's Jesus' invitation to his people. He says, come to me. I stand at the door and knock. Listen, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. When we think about following Jesus, do we think about it as something quick that happens and then we're on to the next thing? Or do we think about it as something to be safered, something to be lingered over? something to sit around a family meal 
When, when I was a kid growing up, oftentimes on Saturday afternoons, we would have the whole family over. Uh, and I, honestly, we'd have a whole bunch of people over. Sometimes we'd have people I'd never even met before because my mom was a college teacher and she'd be like, oh, this college student doesn't have a place to come. Come on to our house. And so we'd go from like seven of us to like 20 of us um, in the two hours it took to get from church because we went to church on Saturday, church to, to home. Um, but when we gathered around the table, meals in my parents' house, they just last. You, you just sit around and, and you chat. You, you, you catch up on the week. You have a time to hit time out, pause on all the expectations that drive our lives every day of the week. Jesus is inviting us to a meal. Not a fast food meal, a meal with intimacy, a, a meal with intention, a meal with focus. When you think about your walk with Jesus, is that how you experience that? Sure, sometimes life gets going, life gets busy, but do we ever slow down to just take a pause and to be reminded man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that, receive, that they receive by the mouth of the Lord. Do we stop to hear his voice? Do we stop to be known by him? The invitation of the Christian life is not just so that one day we escape eternal punishment. That is true. It's much more than that, though. The invitation to follow Jesus is the invitation to experience life with him. You may be here today, and you've never experienced this life with Jesus. Maybe you've even been a part of the church for a long time. Maybe you've shown up for Sunday morning, or you've shown up for Sunday school, or you've shown up to Bible study or prayer meeting, but it's been a go-through-the-motions kind of thing. Jesus' invitation to you is, come to me. Find your salvation. Find your redemption in me. Find relationship in me. You may be a follower of Jesus here today, and you've gone, you've, you've trusted him with your life. You believe that Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sin. You are in Christ, but your life might be marked. If you are honest with yourself, oh, there's not many times when your walk with God resembles a meal where you sit down and you're known by God and you're taught by God and you're encouraged by God. For you, perhaps religion has become a thing of duty and not delight. Jesus says to us today, oh, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my words and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. Verse 21 gives us this great picture. The victor I will give him, the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I also won the victory and I sat down with my father on his throne. There's a coronation that takes place where we are seated beside the king, not because we've earned it, but because he said, you're my beloved, you are mine. What's your walk with the Lord like today? 
Have you come to relationship with Jesus? Are, are, are you walking in the truth that Jesus is your only source of life and power? A truth, by the way, that the Colossians needed to hear and, and learn just like we do. I want to invite our worship team to come forward. And um, One last question for you, though. And, and this is one I, I wrestle with a little bit. Because this is a letter that's written to the church. Sometimes we, we talk so much about us as individuals. We live in a very individualistic society. And, and there's, there's reasons for that, right? Like we all have to have a personal relationship with God. I, I can't fake your relationship of God, with God for you. I, I can't be your Jesus for you. But one of the questions I think is helpful for us to ask, and I'd love to hear your prayerful thoughts on this. Where do we... Where do we as a body of Christ, where do we as a church, a people bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, where do we rely upon anything other than Jesus for effective ministry? He says to this church, you are lukewarm, which basically means you are ineffective in everything I've called you to do, to make disciples. I mean, before making a disciple, to be a disciple who makes a disciple. Where do we rely upon our own strength? Where do we rest in our own adequacy apart from the adequacy and power of God? Part of my heart, part of God's heart for us as a church, as a faith community, is for us to say, all right, Lord, would you lead in God and show the way? What One of those areas that, that Mark prayed for this morning um, is with regard to a, uh, a youth and discipleship pastor. We, we've been praying for that. We've been working for that. Um, we, we thought we had a, gr a great candidate. Actually, we did have a great candidate. And through the course of prayerful thought and consideration, God called him to remain where he was. That was, that was how God spoke. So I have two options. I could say, darn, God, why did you mess that, mess that up? Why did they mess that up? <laughs> or I can say, God, you have something great for us. God, our lives are in your hands. The, the, the need is in your hands. We have a world around us that seeks to find their identity in all sorts of things. My prayer is that we would be the people that say, we know where you can find your identity in Christ alone. Because in Jesus alone, we have all we need. Worship team is going to sing a song right now. It's a prayerful reflection song for us. And it's this prayer. Give me one purely, pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life, God, to know and follow hard after you. Would you just spend these next few moments in prayer and say, God, where am I trusting myself? God, where are we trusting ourselves? and not walking in your sufficient strength. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession Give me one glorious ambition for my life To know and follow hard after you 
As we, as we prepare to take of the bread and of the cup, we're reminded that in Christ we have all that we need. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you have washed away our sins, that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. And yet, God, in all these areas of our life, where we seek to meet our own needs apart from you, where we don't even know sometimes, God, that we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, as the church in Laodicea experienced, although they had all those things they thought in great abundance. Father, reveal to us our own self-sufficient strategies that we might turn again to you, the giver of every good and perfect thing, the one who meets us in our weakness and makes us strong, the one who goes before us to be your hands and feet in this world. May that be our prayer this week, our Father. As your word is called the church in Laodicea, you call us today to be zealous, and to repent. And God, we agree that you alone are sufficient for us. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.